Hey guys, welcome back to the Wiggy podcast with Lexi and Sydney. Welcome back, guys. Um, welcome back to episode two, part two of Get to Know the Gals with Sydney. Um, as promised, we are now going to be diving deep into Sydney's story. Last week, you heard a little bit about me and my story. So now it's Sydney Girl's turn. Um, so her story kind of takes you all over the place. She's going to talk about her diagnosis, her treatment plan, and then kind of life after cancer. She definitely has a wide range of different roller coaster rides and things like that, which I think you guys are going to find really interesting. So without further ado, Cindy girl, take it away. Yes, Lexi, thanks so much for that um, intro there. Really excited to share my story with you all. Um, So a little bit about me. I'm 23 from a small town of Holly Springs right outside of Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, Prior to my diagnosis, I was a senior in college um, at UNCW in Wilmington. So I was living at the beach, really loving life my senior year of college, um, living with some really amazing roommates. Um, And then my life kind of took a turn. But leading up to this point, I pretty much got sick all the time. My immune system just something was up. But you just thought, meh, she gets sick a lot. My parents always referred to me as typhoid Mary. That was like a running joke in our family. And leading up to this point, um, I, in 2019, went to the emergency room because I wasn't feeling well. Um, and they told me that I had bronchitis. I got a bunch of tests done, x-rays, and that's what they told me. I ended up getting like the steroid pack and everything to kind of get rid of that. And then since that point, I never really felt myself. Um, I developed night sweats, just a sweating problem in general. I was constantly tired. Um, just something was really off. So in September of 2020, I ended up getting COVID, got through that. Fast forward a month, it's October. And that's when I noticed a lump on my collarbone. And so at this point, I'm away at school. I knew something was wrong. It's peak COVID right now. So I needed to do a virtual appointment with my doctor. So I do the virtual appointment and I'm like, uh, I have this lump on my collarbone. And of course, the first thing that I see on Google when you search lump on collarbone, it's lymphoma. So I kind of had this in the back of my head, but never really wanted to like admit to myself that that's what it was because I didn't know yet. My parents were like, Sydney, you're crazy. That's not what it is. My friends were like, don't say that. You don't have cancer, blah, blah, blah. So at this point, my doctor on our Zoom call is saying, you know, I'm not alarmed, but I can't really examine this lump from a Zoom call. Like I'm going to need to see you in person. So I head back home, get seen the next day. I get labs drawn, blood work, and then they want to get an x-ray done. And so I go and get the x-ray done, not even an hour after leaving the radiology office. I get a call saying like, you need a CT scan immediately. And I'm like, oh my gosh. At this point is when it really set in that something was wrong. Um, and I knew something was wrong cause I wasn't feeling right, but it's just like, I don't, it was pretty surreal. They just, everything was happening so quickly. And so they were able to get me in for a CT the next, that the next day. So it was a Friday, which meant I wasn't going to get my results until that Monday, which can be a good thing and a bad thing. Um, for me, I was able to settle my anxiety and not think about it too much. Um, but Monday rolls around. And I get a call at like 730 in the morning before my doctor's office was even open. And they say, hey, Sydney, like, we'd love to see you this morning, but make sure you bring your mom. 
And so in that very moment, I knew that something that they were going to tell me was bad enough to the point where I needed my mom in the room with me. Um, and I kind of looked at my mom in the car right there and said, mom, like, I think this is lymphoma. Like I ha- I know in my heart that this is what they're going to tell me. And then I get to my doctor's appointment and my doctors walk in and that's exactly what they tell me. And I know in that very moment, all I was thinking of was like, oh my gosh, I'm going to lose my hair. Not even the fact that I'm going to have to go through this roller coaster ride of the cancer journey. But just in that moment, I was thinking I'm going to lose my hair. And from that moment forward is when the roller coaster ride really took off. Um, and so from there, I'm get, going to meet with my first oncologist and they are, they were able to get me in super quick to a local oncologist, um, a referral. And he was absolutely amazing. It being peak COVID, um, I had to go to my first oncology appointment by myself. Um, and this is when I was really going to get all the answers in terms of what's going on with me. But my doctor was able to sit down with me and pull up my most recent CT scan and the one that I had gotten done back in 2019. And he had them side by side and he looked at me and he said, look at this, your lymphoma has only been growing from this point until now. And that was probably the most unsettling thing. And still to this day, it's like very hard for me to wrap my head around that it had been growing for that long and that I, this was like my underlying problem for why I was constantly getting sick and yada, yada. So from this point, he's, he tells me, you know, we need to biopsy the lymph node um, and then we're going to have to stage it and go from there. So I was lucky enough to get in with a really amazing thoracic surgeon within, I think two days later, they fit me in for my biopsy. And with this biopsy, they were going to take out my lymph node as well as insert a port for treatment. Um, and so I go through with my biopsy and I think I heard back with a few days later after they sent it off to pathology, um, where I found out that it was Hodgkin's lymphoma, which as Lexi shared last, last week, she had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. So in terms of our types of lymphoma, it was a bit different in the, um, treatment process and so forth. Um, So I find out it's non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. From there, I'm having to stage my cancer. So I had my first PET scan where they were able to give me the radioactive dye through an IV so that the cancer would light up on the scan. Um, And so from there, I find out that my cancer is stage two. And then they also wanted me to get a bone marrow biopsy done. So I got the bone marrow biopsy done and that came back negative, which I'm so, so thankful for. And so from there, they gave me the option for if I wanted to freeze my eggs. And at 23 years old, I, that's just something that never even crossed my mind, kids at the moment. Um, So I just kind of didn't really know how to process all of that. But in the back of my head, I knew that one day down the road, I obviously want to have a family and to be able to have kids. So I decided to go through with the process. So then came the IVF process. And as Lexi shared last week, um, she did the Lupron shots and I myself did the IVF process. And this is definitely a roller coaster ride in and of itself and something that we'll definitely touch more on in um, further episodes. Um, but for me, I, I was given the opportunity, so I wanted to run with it. Um, I knew one day down the road that I definitely wanted to have a family and be able to have kids. Um, I know that Hodgkin's lymphoma has a small percent rate that you wouldn't be able to have kids on your own and you would be infertile. But if I 
I, I just wanted to go through with it. It's completely um, personal preference. Um, and so this process consisted of um, meeting with the doctor. And then I had my first ultrasound, which was an ultrasound of your uter uterus. And this is when you would see the different follicles and what would be growing over the next two and a half weeks. Um, from there, I would be giving myself two shots every night um, for a course of two weeks. And those were hormone shots that created the um, follicles in your uterus, the eggs, um, and they had to be a certain size before they were able to be extracted. Um, so I would go back every other day, bright and early in the morning to get an ultrasound to see how big they'd gotten, um, if they were the right size yet, um, how many more days I'd had just like gauging. Um, and so from there, that process and the shots lasted about two weeks. And then I had the procedure where they extracted the eggs. Um, and so now I have eggs in the freezer for one day when I want to be able to have kids. It's kind of like a weird thing to say and think about at 23 years old, but I know one day down the road, I will be very thankful that I did it. God forbid that I wouldn't be able to have kids on my own. So I'm thankful for that. And if you are able to do it, I definitely recommend it. Um, but again, it's completely up to you. And then from there, I decided that I wanted to get a second opinion from another oncologist in terms of what my treatment plan would look like. My first doctor, um, his treatment plan consisted of six rounds of chemo, which is 12 treatments total, and then radiation on top of that. And so I wanted to see that if there was another doctor out there that would say, you don't have to get radiation. Um, so after I decided that Duke was where I wanted to be treated, Ultimately, I loved both doctors so, so much. And I, I thought my first oncologist was absolutely amazing, so knowledgeable. But it ultimately, it came down to what my treatment plan was going to be and also the atmosphere. For anyone listening that's going through treatment right now or could be going through treatment at some point in the future, the atmosphere is everything. Who you're surrounded with at, during treatment and just like all of that is a huge factor. Um, you, as Lexi shared last week, treatment days are very long in terms of like your chemo on top of your appointment and then labs. Um, it's, I was always there the entire day. So I knew wherever I was going to be and spend my day, I wanted it to be enjoyable and I wanted to like where I was. Um, and so this did the Duke cancer center is just, it's beautiful and everyone there is amazing. So I just instantly fell in love with it. So Duke would be my home for the next six or seven months after this point. So on December 16th was when I first started chemo. I can remember as Lexi shared in her story as well, dyed her hair pink. Um, I had hot pink hair. I was fully ready to take this thing on. Um, I, I was just as ready as I could be, I guess. But so my treatment plan was going to be six months total. Um, I had six rounds of ABVD and it was 12 treatments total um, spread out between two, every two weeks. Um, so it started in December. The first treatment was honestly super, super scary. I remember that day looked like labs in the morning and then I had my on first my oncology appointment prior to going to chemo. And then I went to chemo and chemo for me probably could have only been three hours long of sitting in the chair and actually getting the IV drip. But because I had a really bad reaction the first time, um, they pushed the last the last chemo um, 
to be, I think it was almost an hour and a half when it was only supposed to hang on the bag for like 30 minutes. Um, so that really stretched the timing out. So from that point forward, um, I had to come up with something different in terms of how was I going to stay relaxed? How was I not going to have these bad side effects? Like how, what was going to get me through it? Um, so from every chemo after that, I had to get Benadryl through an IV. And then I had also had to get Ativan to relax me. And those were my saving grace throughout treatment. And I'm so glad I was able to give um, that insight to Lexi when she was going through treatment because it really saved me. Um, uh, the Ativan just really took all the, the nervousness away. You could really relax. And then the Benadryl made me super tired so I could sleep through it um, some days. And so fast forward a couple treatments. I remember in, I think it was end of January, early February, like right after my birthday, it was four, four chemos down. That's when I had my first PET scan and gosh, the nerves were really going at this point. I, I remember the first PET scan I got and it was not a good one. So I just was really hoping at this point that my treatment was working. Um, and so I went in for my scan and then I think the next day I had my oncology appointment. And they told me that my cancer was completely gone. And I was, just, I can remember looking at my mom with chills, tears, all of it. And just like, oh my gosh, like it's gone. Like it's working. So I'm done. And I can remember my mom asking my doctor and being like, so like, we're done. We don't have to do this anymore. Like it's over. And he's like, no, like you have to go through with it. So I'm like, oh my gosh, we're only, we're four down and we have until 12. And so I keep plugging along. Um, I remember right before my 23rd birthday, which was right after my scan, um, I decided to shave my head. And I knew in my heart that this day was going to be really, really hard for me. Um, I think for any girl that's going through the cancer journey, losing your hair is like a huge part of it. Um, but thankfully enough, Lexi and I were able to get connected with our amazing wig wig maker stylist. Um, and she makes the most phenomenal wigs. So it kind of took that, put our minds at ease and just made us feel ourselves after that point. Um, so I shaved my head and that was Lexi and I talk about this a lot. That's the day that you feel like you're totally in control because you are the one that's shaving your head. Like cancer is not taking your hair away. You're choosing to take your hair. So after this point, um, I shaved my head and then the chemo keeps going. And so as Lexi shared, you know, as the chemo goes on, you're getting more weak, you're losing your overall complexion in your face. You're, it's really taken its toll. Um, I can remember my first chemo, I, I felt pretty crappy, but then I bounced back after a few days and I felt like I could take on the world. And then I knew as soon as I felt my best that I had to go back to treatment again. Um, and so chemo was getting worse. Um, I'd get more weak as chemos went on, um, losing my energy, just, just not myself, but I knew that there was light at the end of the tunnel. So I had to keep trucking along, um, roll. Let's see. Come April is when I actually got COVID, which was really, really scary. I can remember, I knew that they told me in the beginning, if you Anytime you break a fever, it's you're immediately going to the emergency room. So I, I knew I wasn't feeling good, took my temperature and it was off to the emergency room. We went, thankfully enough, we went to Duke. So as soon as they realized that I'm a cancer patient, that I was being seen immediately. So they get me back into a room almost instantly running tests. 
the whole nine yards. They do a rapid COVID test and it comes back negative. So they're like, huh, maybe it's the flu. You're maybe you're just really sick. I mean, your immune system's pretty much shot. Um, but I can remember I was just so ill that I, I wasn't wearing my mask in my, my little hospital room, completely like infecting everyone, I guess, in the room because hello, I had COVID, but they told me that I didn't. So I'm not getting better at this point. And so they, they're telling me, you know, you're going to be admitted. Um, so you're going to stay the night. And so I'm like, okay. And because it's COVID, they told my dad that he had to go home. So they admit me and I'm on the peds floor of Duke, which was honestly so fun because it made me feel like a kid again in the worst of times. Um, and the nurses on the peds floor are absolutely amazing. They're just, are just so, so sweet. And so I'm on the peds floor. I turn on keeping up with their Kardashians in my room. And I'm like, I'm like, okay, at this point, it's five o'clock in the morning. What could go wrong? Nope. I look at the door and I see a nurse in like a full hazmat suit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, like, I know I'm sick, but what's going on? And sure enough, she comes in and said, oh, your test came back positive. You have COVID. Like we got to take you to the COVID unit. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is not happening to me because I already had COVID like a year ago. So I was like, there's no way. And so they're wheeling me out. I'm told not to touch anything. I'm double masks and they're taking me to the COVID unit. And so they have me in this crazy confined room and I have no visitors. I hadn't seen anybody in a good couple of hours. I have no idea what's going on. And then I finally see my nurse and they're like, yeah, like your doctor will be here soon, but like, you can't have visitors. We don't know how long you're going to be here. We really don't have any answers for you. You're just going to have to wait. And I can remember being absolutely devastated at this point. I'm supposed to only have two or three more chemos left. Like the, the end is so near. And then I'm being, I felt like I got so high up on the ladder and then I was just getting knocked down. Um, and so I'm calling my parents and I'm like, all I care about is finishing chemo. Like, why is this happening to me? Um, so I was absolutely devastated. And sure enough, I get the antibody infusion, which I felt great the next day. And I was released after four days of being in the hospital, but I didn't have any visitors. I couldn't see my family. It was really tough. Um, and that's when the, my doctor on the COVID unit talked to my oncologist and was like, she, she can't get chemo for at least like a week and a half. So my last chemo got pushed back and I was just distraught for a, a good bit, but I knew everything happens for a reason. I'm going to get to the end of this. There is a light at the end of the tunnel. So I have to keep going. So I make it through my COVID recovery. I'm able to get my immune system up as much as it can to be able to tolerate chemo. I get through my second to last chemo and I'm just like on top of the world. It didn't really feel real that I had been going through this for six to seven months. And then June 2nd rolls around. And that was the day of my last chemo. This was a day that I'd been so eagerly patient, but yet so patiently waiting for, um, you know, in the the thick of all of it and the roller coaster ride that I was on, it really felt like I was never going to get to that day, but the day surely came around. And I remember I ordered this really cute purple dress because Hodgkin's lymphoma, the ribbon is purple. So I knew I wanted to have purple. I got my nails painted purple. It was all purple. Um, so I was really excited, but my oncology team had moved to a different infusion center 
so I had to have my chemo, my last chemo in a new place, which means I had to say goodbye to my, all my favorite nurses. I had a whole new team with me for my last chemo. Um, it was also with the bone marrow trans, uh, bone marrow transplant unit. So I had a lot of very, very sick patients. Um, so the vibe was just completely different than what I had been going to at the Duke cancer center. Um, and they also didn't have a bell to ring at this place. So I had to bring my own bell. So I really didn't know what this day was going to entail, but I knew I was going to make the best of it. Um, so I knew the day started with my Starbucks coffee. Um, I headed on over there, got my labs done, had my last appointment and I took on my last chemo and then my nurse that day was just absolutely amazing. Talked to her. She knew it was my last chemo. So she did something really, really special for me to make me feel special and celebrated. Um, so she, she and three other nurses walked me to the front of the building when I was done um, and let me ring the bell. I get emotional talking about it, but um, yeah, let me ring the bell with my mom. Uh, all my friends had sent me bells. So I brought my bells with me and I rang the bell um, and they cheered me on. So that was like the best day ever. And I think I'll remember that moment forever. But um, then I got to go home and had all of my family waiting for me at the house to celebrate. And yeah, best day ever. But I also was on Ativan and Benadryl. So you can only imagine that I was extremely tired. So I would get home from chemo and eat my dinner and absolutely knock out and fall asleep. I just, it had been a long day and I was ready for bed. Wow, Sydney, that is a crazy story. I feel like your last, I remember the day that you rang the bell. And I remember because I was starting treatment when you were ending treatment. So I feel like it's so full circle now, like you getting to talk about this, especially too, because it was such an emotional day with your last chemo and like ringing the bell. I just wish I, I, I just, you went through it. I mean, like, especially during COVID times too, like with having COVID, because I remember you telling me the story about you being locked in the room and all this other stuff. And then fast forward to your last chemo and ringing the bell. And I just wish that you would have gotten the same experience that I did, but obviously everyone is so different. And I'm just so glad that the nurse was able to like make you feel special because you deserve to feel special, especially in that moment when it's something that you work so hard for. And I feel like we've always look, we always look for that moment and the fact that it's taken away from you in a sense, but at the same time, I'm glad that someone like went out of their way to make it special because obviously times are so different and so weird. I feel like we get sick of that because it's like a broken record with people saying like, Oh my gosh, like times are so crazy right now, but I'm just so glad that it was special for you and you got to kind of share. Um, so to kind of end it on a little bit more of an upper note, um, cause I mean, what we're talking about here obviously is not fun. Um, we're going to kind of go into some fun questions. Sydney asked me some fun questions last week, and now we're going to go into fun questions with her. So Sydney girl, um, when you went through chemo, what was your chemo routine? I know that you said that you had a Starbucks, um, coffee. Oh, yeah. Is there a certain one in particular that you were going for or what kind of fun things in your routine were you doing? Yeah. So my, my treatment day routine, um, always consisted of Starbucks. I needed my venti cold brew to get me through that day. Um, absolutely. Um, let's see also for people listening, don't judge me. I love a good McGriddle. Yes, girl. <laughs> and so some people think it's so gross, but 
I, my mom and I would treat ourselves to a McGriddle before chemo. And that was our go-to. We'd hit McDonald's and Starbucks. They were right next to each other. And that was our thing. The fact that you, though, literally the fact of why do we always go to two separate places to get the same thing? Wait, it was it the McGriddle with the pancake? Yes. Oh my gosh. If you don't like McGriddle, I'm sorry. You're, you're really missing out. You're missing out. It, I know it's probably gross, but in the, I was going through chemo. I have every excuse to eat the damn McGriddle. Absolutely. So that, that's really what that consisted of. Um, and then we, after we had breakfast, we would drive to the Duke Cancer Center. It was about like a 45 minute drive or so from my house. And that day consisted of labs in the morning. So I'd get blood work done and they would access my port. And then I would have my follow-up or like pre-treatment appointment um, with my oncology and my nurse practitioner. And so I would go to that appointment and then I would head back downstairs and wait for treatment. Um, and then they all, the cancer center had so many good food options. So my mom would always surprise me with like a snack or like some different lunch, um, usually Chick-fil-A or, or tropical smoothie they had there. Um, and then I always had to have like some sort of candy, like whether it were like a gummy worm or gummy bears or something, because the medicine that they would put, uh, the anti-nausea, the long lasting one that goes through your port, I swear you can taste it and it tastes like coins and it's so gross. Um, and so I would always have to be eating some sort of candy to get the, um, taste out of my mouth. But then after treatment, my dad would always text me and ask what I want for dinner. So like he'd always surprise me with something yummy for dinner, whether it'd be like barbecue or pizza or sushi or whatever I was craving at the time, um, something good for dinner. And then I'd get home, eat my dinner and go right to bed. So that was my typical day of treatment. Oh my gosh, that's crazy. I remember you two telling me about the Ativans when you would get home and you would just be like zonked out at the dinner table. That's so funny. Oh yeah. My parents would always laugh at me because I would like be mid bite of dinner and my head would be on the table because I was like <laughs> trying to stay awake. <laughs> oh my God, that is so funny. I know. Um, well, that kind of leads us into our next question, I guess you could say. Um, so did you have any like fun chemo cravings? Obviously, we went into kind of mine. Um, what was one thing that you really looked forward to while during your chemo weeks when you're getting off chemo? Um, getting off chemo, I think probably acai bowls. I was a big acai bowl girl. Um, or just like sweets. I think I had a big sweet tooth, but also I was being pumped with steroids. So I kind of just was eating for the sake of eating, which is kind of gross. Um, I did gain a lot of weight during treatment, um, which I was super sad about, but in the moment you, they, all my doctors would always say, we're so happy that you're gaining weight and not losing weight. So in the moment I couldn't be mad, um, and worry about it when I could worry about it. But so I was really just eating to make myself happy, which is all you could do in that yeah, situation. Literally, it's the little things. Wait, I love the fact that we both had acai bowls because did you not it, nothing slapped harder than a freaking fresh fruit bowl that was cold? Exactly. No, so good. Always. Well, now that you left us with your chemo craving, um, I guess now we kind of get into more of a piece of advice. So tell the listeners kind of a piece of advice that you wish that you knew rather going into treatment or just during treatment in general, what would be something that you would tell somebody going through it? Kind of what we went through. Um, I definitely would say be as proactive as you can, um, in terms of like 
taking full control over when you notice your hair going to fall out or it starts to thin, be the one to take control of you shaving your head um, or finding that wig or whatever brings you comfort. Um, I know also I found a lot of comfort in connecting and reaching out um, with other girls who are experiencing the exact same thing or know how you're feeling. There's only so much that your friends and family can relate and give you advice for um, up until you actually are speaking with another person that completely feels and understands you to a T. Um, I've met so many, so many girls that went through it, understand, and I'm still to this day so, so close with them. And I could not have gotten through this journey without them. And I'm so thankful for their friendships. Um, again, that's how Lexi and I connected. I think the old me um, was would have been so shy and reserved and I'm not reaching out to a stranger, but why? I had nothing to lose. I wanted nothing more than to comfort somebody else and that comfort bring comfort to myself. Um, so I think that would be a bit of my advice is to just like connect as much as possible and put yourself out there because having those connections and relationships um, make it all that much easier. No, to I totally agree with that. And I think that's such a good tip because I feel like being proactive in that sense. And I mean, we all are pretty, I mean, people listening to this obviously are tuning in to listen or rather if they're going through it or not going through it. I feel like community is so big, especially too, when you're first getting diagnosed. And if you can be proactive, even just like reaching out to somebody who is going through the same thing that you are, because odds are they give you good tips or insight or just knowing in general that you like you have somebody that's like been in your corner and can understand. And no, being proactive also about like taking the initiative to like shave your head before like your whole head falls off. I think that's too, because there's a friend of mine that says like fully taking control. And I feel like that's so important too. Cause it's like, you, cause like cancer rips so much from you and like getting the chance to like take it back and kind of give it the middle finger being like, Hey, listen, like I'm winning this in this set. Exactly. Definitely. And in the while you're really going through the journey in the beginning, especially you feel very alone because you feel that until you really meet somebody else that understands you and knows what you're going through, you feel very alone. Um, and so to just be in this club that we never asked to be in um, and just be a part of the cancer community and connect with other amazing cancer survivors and those going through cancer, um, I just cannot recommend it enough because I would not be as strong as I am today without connecting with all of the amazing people that I've met thus far. So Sydney, after everything, um, how about you tell us a little bit about how life after cancer is going? Yes. So after beating cancer back in June, um, life has just been absolutely amazing. Um, being healthy again and six months in remission is probably the sweetest feeling I could have ever asked for. Um, it's really crazy to fast forward and be where I am now because I've been dreaming of this life and time for myself since being diagnosed, you know, it felt like time was standing still for a really long time. Um, and to finally be in this position is just amazing. So right now I started my first big girl job, if you will, um, after graduating college. Um, I also graduated college, um, while finishing up chemo, which was amazing because looking back, I don't think I could have ever stopped doing school because it really kept me sane during the whole process and gave me um, a purpose. So to jump into a job and to just absolutely love where I'm working, love my coworkers, the environment, it's just absolutely amazing. Um, I'm just super, super thankful for 
the love and support from my amazing um, support system, my family and friends who have stood by me and lifted me up um, this past year. I really couldn't do it without them. And especially my sister, um, our relationship just got really, really close this past year. And, you know, both of us being at home during um, my treatments and being together and really getting close. It was that time that we had together that we would have never had because I would have been at school and she would have been away at school also. So I really am a firm believer that everything happens for a reason. So I have definitely been given the gift to see the good in a really shitty situation. So for that, I'm thankful. Well, guys, that brings us to the end of episode number three. Thank you so much for tuning in today and letting me share my story with you guys. I hope this sheds light on something that you are going through or could be going through or already went through. Um, I hope that that you find comfort in my story and what Lexi shared last week. Um, We want to be that safe place for you guys. Um, and hope you enjoyed it. But um, in the meantime, we hope that you follow us on our Instagram account at the Wigginit Podcasts, and then also take a listen to our podcasts on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. And on that note, we will talk to you guys next week. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.